Today, we're talking to Nate Branscombe, Strategic Account Executive at Chili Piper, about how he achieves 10% plus booking rates on his accounts. One of the things that I've been really focused on a lot lately, just with our clients, is I kind of come from this angle that I think most sales teams actually know what to do. I think they're pretty aware of the tactics out there. For example, that they should be personalizing their cold emails, that they should make their cold calls more about the prospect and ask more questions and do a permission-based opener. And I don't really think that that's the problem. I don't think that the tactics or lack of tactics is a problem. I think that the problem is more around creating habits. It's no different than I look at like working out and eating healthy. I think most people know how they could be a healthier person, <laughs> right? They might not be an expert in exercise, you know, sports science or in nutrition, but they probably know how they could go from where they're at right now to a more healthy uh, state. And I don't think that it's the lack of knowledge or tactics that is really causing that. It's really habit creation. And the reason why I bring this up is that habit creation can be really hard if you're not getting feedback, right? If you have to make a bunch of calls, which if you're listening to this, you're either probably managing a team of people that do, that do that or you're doing it yourself. One thing that can be really hard is like being notified when you're not doing something the correct way. Otherwise, you have to kind of rely on coaching yourself and it just drains a bunch of willpower. And the reason why I bring that up is I'm pretty excited about a new app that I started using. It's called Wingman. And essentially what you can do with Wingman to create habit change with your team or with yourself is that it'll actually give you real-time feedback during a sales call. And you can use it to coach yourself on cold calls as well. And essentially how this works, I was using this last week actually, is I can be in the middle of a sales call and it'll ping me in a way that doesn't show the prospect that maybe I'm talking too much or maybe I picked out certain words and phrases that I don't want to say anymore or maybe I want certain talking points to pop up when they ask about my price or how I differentiate from other sales trainers or coaches. And I can actually do that in real time. It's pretty cool. So if you're looking to create more habit change with your team or with yourself, check out Wingman. It's at trywingman.com. And uh, let's get to the episode today. So I'm, I'm super excited for the interview. Before we get to that, if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, my name is Jason Bay. I'm the host of Blissful Prospecting. And my goal with this podcast is I really love helping people that, you know, look forward to landing those big meetings, but hate it when prospects aren't responding to their cold emails or when they don't feel confident making cold calls. So my goal is to help give you actionable strategies and tactics to help you land more meetings with your ideal clients. So thanks for tuning in today. And what we're about to get into with Nate Branscombe that I'm super excited about is, you know, he sells a product called Chili Piper. And essentially what this does is it allows people to you know, when they sign up to your contact page to instantly be routed to uh, an SDR, BDR, or any other sort of sales reps calendar so that prospects can schedule a meeting immediately. And I, I've seen conflicting data out there, but most of the data will tell you that the longer someone has to wait to book a meeting with you, the more likely they are to shop around and look at your competitors. So they help with that. And one really interesting thing that he does to book really a pretty good amount of meetings off the accounts that he's reaching out to and he's and he's doing this at scale is they'll take little gifts and they'll customize them and they'll show the company what it would be like if they were using their product. And it's a super unique approach that I haven't really seen a lot of companies executing at scale. 
and they're doing it at Chili Piper, so he's going to talk about that. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. So uh, I was looking on your LinkedIn, I noticed that you started out in outside sales, but I was curious, what was the transition, uh, transition Excuse me, like from going to outside sales to inside sales? Yeah, so um, I started doing outbound sales. Uh, that was my first job, uh, my first sales job, I guess, but um, it was about six years ago. So I was basically going door to door selling office supplies, which was, it was honestly pretty miserable at the time. So Amazon was just coming out. So everyone was just ordering it online. Um, they didn't care about saving a couple of dollars on, you know, some printer paper or whatever it was. So um, I was walking around in a suit, you know, in the snow or hot or whatever it was, knocking on these businesses' doors and basically trying to sell them, you know, office supplies. So um, it was kind of constantly just getting rejected a lot. And we would make, you know, some people would sign up, but um, it's not like the money was good. I was 100% commission making maybe a few hundred dollars a week or something like that. So I think it just taught me like a lot of grit and thick skin and just <laughs> being able to get, you know, shut down constantly. Um, but the transition to inside sales, I think was a lot more relevant because, you know, that wasn't what I was really looking to do. I wasn't looking to knock on doors and sell something that doesn't really have any like differential value or anything like that. So um, once I got into inside sales, um, obviously it was a lot easier because you're on the phone or on the, you know, on a call and not in person. Um, but I think that's really where, you know, there's different products with, that you can really differentiate. And I was selling something that I could really provide value in rather than just like, Hey, do you want to save money? Um, and that type of thing. So, yeah, that's a tough value prop, man. When it's cost savings, because, because yeah. then you just get lumped into customers that are just looking for the lowest cost provider. They're looking for the Walmart essentially of like your business category. Yeah. That red ocean, you know, kind of, that's, that's tough, man. You know, the, yeah. So did you then look to get into inside sales because you're starving to death or what, dude, 200, 300 bucks a week, man. How do you, how do you survive on that? <laughs> that I mean, I'm not going to lie. That was probably like my rock bottom. Um, I remember yeah. just like, cause we would, we would meet at the office and they would try to get us all hyped up even though they knew. Of course. Um, and then we were all outside. So we drive to our zip codes with a you know clipboard or something like that. Um, and then meet back up. So it was just getting to the point where I was like, man, this is not fun. Like I would just literally go home and like cry in the mirror, like <laughs> yeah. I need to find something different. But, um, I knew the potential of sales. I just, I had no experience previously. I was coming from a different industry. So, you know, they kind of sold it as a good gig and I jumped into it. Um, but again, I mean, I did take a lot out of it, but eventually, yeah, I just like couldn't do it anymore. And, um, I got referred into like some job from a friend from college or something like that. So just kind of a more standard inside sales job. Yeah. So how did you get into, cause Chili Piper is a super cool company. I've known about you guys for a couple of years now, Yeah. but it's like the exact opposite of the scenario you just talked about. <laughs> exactly. Which it's like yeah. a, a very differentiated product, um, that offers a ton of value. That's, you know, you're able to articulate to people and you're not selling something, trying to be the cheapest at it. But how, how did you end up getting into, uh, working at Chili Piper? Yeah, so I had worked, so I was living in the DC area, so I'd got into, you know, obviously government software for a while. Mm. Um, and that obviously has a lot of red tape and it's slow and it was kind of boring. So um, I worked there for about a year, but I mean, that was a huge step up from where I was. Um, and I got a call from a recruiter and got into like more of, you know, the startup um, and software atmosphere. So um, I worked for, basically a, a startup SaaS company in DC called Shopkeep. Um, so they had a pilot office in DC. So we we're working for like a small 
acquired product. Um, it's kind of like a startup within a startup. Um, and then I ended up moving to Denver and worked for exactly for a bit. Um, and that's probably the most transferable, you know, job. It was like a very standard SaaS tool. So that's where I kind of gained a lot of my more relevant, I guess, in modern knowledge rather than the door knocking. Um, but that's where I went from SDR to AE. And then I was looking for some new potential roles. Um, and actually ran into a friend at a coffee shop um, on another interview that I was going to. Um, and he mentioned, hey, I know the startup, you know, they, I think they only have, you know, one sales rep. Um, but they're really looking to, you know, ramp up their sales team. You know, you should talk to them. Um, so I was pretty hesitant, but I ended up um, connecting with our CEO, Nicholas, that day. Um, and then, you know, it went pretty well. And, you know, I got brought on with them, I think, the next week or so. So it was kind of completely random and they weren't hiring or anything, but um, it worked out. So Yeah, it's kind of funny how the best things in life usually are kind of surprises, you know, like that. It's like really yeah. pleasant surprises. Um so one thing I haven't done personally is worked for a company that is like relatively new, like a startup, you know, where you're selling something that's like new and, and there might not be a lot of processes yet. I would imagine yeah. in the sales department, I've started companies, you know, and that's like a whole nother beast, right? <laughs> Trying to figure that out. And then you got to market your business and then deliver you know, your stuff. But um, what was it like? Like, if you don't mind digging into it, whatever you can here, yeah. what was the early sales landscape like there? Did you have to figure out a lot of this stuff on your own from a prospecting standpoint, especially, or was some stuff provided for you? Like what was the starting point like there from a, you know, prospecting standpoint? For prospecting, I mean, it was, it was pretty much ground zero. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I started, we, we actually had a very heavy inbound um, lead flow yeah. from the beginning. So, I mean, even when I started, I was doing like, I started doing demos literally my second week. Like I just kind of got wow. thrown into it. Um, but I mean, eight to 10 calls a day easily. So there wasn't really a need to prospect just with the, you know, eight to 10, like intro calls a day. It was, yeah, it was insane. Damn. So, but it was awesome because I would like yeah. fuck up, you know, most of them, but it was fine. <laughs> he had a like lot of re- weeks. He had a lot to yeah, practice. After on. Two weeks and I was like, <laughs> it's like I've been ramped up for months or something like that. So, <laughs> yeah. You um, got as much experience in in two weeks as it, sometimes it takes people two quarters to get that yeah. amount of sales calls in. <laughs> Yeah. So it was awesome. So, I mean, I, it just allowed me to ramp up real quick because I just got the repetition in. I knew the product, mm-hmm. I got the use cases, I knew what didn't work, obviously. Um, so yeah, it just kind of caught me up real fast. And then what's really cool about Chili Piper is we, we really incentivize for prospecting. So I was actually in my comp plan, I was getting paid a lot extra for deals that I'm sourcing myself. So once I got my, you know, fee floored, obviously, you know, sales rep money motivated, we're going to try to find out you know, where should we put our time to make the most, most money? Um, so the fact that I can make a lot more with my own self source, that's when I really started focusing on like, okay, well, what do we need to do to like out really outbound this? Um, and since I was the only, AE, it was complete green space. So it was like basically heaven on earth for me. Cause like, you know, there's no ROE, there's no, Oh, I'm working this account. Um, so from there it was the same, same type of thing, just ton of repetition, just trying out different things and seeing what worked. Um, but I mean, I loved it. I just learned like, just being there and getting the repetition. Like, I keep saying repetition, but like that's, it was huge to be able to ramp up that fast. Um, I've just learned so much here, just being like that front runner and seeing all the processes and being able to be a part of them and like building them out and that type of thing. Um, so it's definitely been really cool. Uh, let's talk, so let's talk about the targeting piece because this is something that's really interesting t- to me about you and sort of unique about your situation is evergreen sounds really awesome. Are uh, you know when you have is that the word you used evergreen? 
or green space, you said. Uh, green space. It's, I've been thinking about evergreen. Now, it <laughs> <laughs> and it's like green space sounds really good in theory, right? Because it's like, oh yeah, I can go after anyone. But did you at any point be like, well, holy shit, I can go after anyone. Where do I start? You know, like how, how did you decide like what verticals even you were going to go after? Because it sounds like you were a, sort of on ground zero of getting this process in place. Did you guys like build out ideal client profiles and like that kind of stuff? Or how did you even know what companies to reach out to and where to get started and focus your time? Yeah. So, I mean, I was obviously like just having all those calls. I mean, I was pretty familiar with what mm-hmm. types of companies were good fits. So, I mean, I didn't think that I, I actually thought the opposite. I was like, Oh, I can't wait to <laughs> get into okay. all this type of stuff. So, um, but I mean, a good place to start is just going like, you know, if, if you're ground zero, you did like the sales forces and the, you know, the Googles and the, you know, those top like SaaS companies that you want to go after. Um, obviously they're a little harder to get into, into, but then you can get like the smaller mid market ones too. So like a lot of what I used initially was like Forbes top cloud companies. Um, mm-hmm. there's like all those different types of lists, um, or just going off like, you know, companies that are really well known on LinkedIn and that type of thing. So, I mean, for us, we're really looking for modern, like fast growing SaaS companies. So, you know, if you know the name, we're probably <laughs> trying to target it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, to your point, I mean, it's also just kind of hard to focus because there's so many different accounts. So, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I definitely was more of like a mass approach at first and like, you know, kind of blasting and seeing who would be interested. But now that we have more reps, it's like, okay, let's focus and really make sure the outreach is a lot more, um, you know, personalized approach rather than like, Hey, this is our value prop. Who's interested? Cause it's a new idea too. So we wanted to get the word out. Um, but now it's like, okay, let's really focus and make sure it's personalized for them. So, mm-hmm. so when you started doing outbound, were you still doing mid market at that time? Or did, is that when you moved to enterprise? Um, so when I started, I was doing mid market and we had an enterprise rep and then she actually left shortly after. So I was pretty much the only eight at the time. So I was doing pretty much all the accounts. Oh, so you're doing everything. Okay. Yeah. All right. So essentially what it sounds like is you were doing enough inbound and you guys were working with enough people at that time that you had a really good idea of what the ideal company looked like for you guys. Yeah, for sure. At least of what we think and what we still think, you know, I mean, there's yeah. obviously industries we haven't gotten into that could be good fits, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, we know who typically buys it obviously. So yeah. Can you get, can you elaborate just a little bit on like when you were looking through these lists, was there anything else you were looking at that you found patterns with like either technology they used or employee count size or any other type of stuff? And it might be good to give some context into what you guys do at Chili Piper too, just to kind of connect the dots of like, what makes this company a good fit and how, why would I prioritize this one higher than another one? And maybe it's just yeah. a logo. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm, I'm curious to see how you prioritize them, what we're yeah, for sure. So, I mean, just to give a little background. So basically Chili Piper integrates, you know, a scheduling experience into like your existing inbound workflows. So for example, someone's scheduling a request a demo form, you know, we can qualify and route them and allow calendar to pop up. So you can just book a meeting direct from your website. So the whole idea is to increase marketing conversion. So um, really where I was starting is like with these different lists and obviously like brand recognition, I would just create a list of accounts that I felt would be good. Um, but a lot is also, you know, the companies that are buying Chili Piper are very like forward thinking, they're innovative, um, they're buying other MarTech. Um, so you could go to their website and see, you know, I mean, no offense to Microsoft, but like they probably don't have the mo- most modern, well, some of their websites, I guess, but like, you know, the old school companies don't have the most modern looking websites. 
Um, and you can see that. Whereas if you go to like, you know, a gong or, you know, something like that, they're probably going to have like all these different, you know, and you can look up the JavaScript in their webpage and you can see, you can con- control F and see what type of tools are um, in JavaScript on their webpage. So you can see if they're spending a lot on MarTech, but then you can also just look at the website. Like this is modern, this is clean. You can tell it's someone that's, you know, a modern marketer and, you know, it's not an old school webpage or anything like that. So I think a lot of that is what goes into it. So I would, you know, go to the website and check it out. Like, Hey, does this look like someone that would even buy from us? Um, or do they have like some antique web form that, you know, why would they optimize something that they don't even have the basis for, you know what I mean? So. So is the thinking there that, cause, uh, Bilal Petrawi, I don't know if you've seen any of his stuff. Yeah. He's got some really good content out there uh, on our podcast interview. He talked about resistance to change. And that was one of the things he talked about too, like at some of the startups he worked with was like kind of seeing if this is the type of company that's going to be very resistant to adopting new technology. And is sure. that sort of where you're going with that? It's like, if I look at the website, does this look like a company that I'm not going to have to like, like if I met with them in person, I would basically have to beg them to like look into a new solution because they're so set in their ways, you know, kind of thing. Is that kind of what you're thinking or? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it definitely goes along that line. And I mean, I don't think you should ever X anyone out because yeah. I mean, there's been times where I've gotten a company that's resistant to change, but you get that one champion that can change that. So, but yeah, I mean, when you have green space, I think it's a different situation, like go for the best yeah. possible chance of closing a deal um, and just use it, you know, it all goes to like time efficiency. There's only so much time. So using it, you know, the best you can, which is going to be with probably those high velocity companies. Um, the thing with the, the the dinosaur companies too, is even if you get the AOK from, you know, the team, then you have to go through 16 years of like negotiations and contract and stuff like yeah. that. So um, for a startup with green space, I mean, we're just trying to get, get the money in fast, I think. So, yeah, no. And then you mentioned JavaScript for the less techie, you know, people, <laughs> How does that work? Is, are you going through Chrome and then going through the, uh, there's like a security view or a developer view? Yeah. So, and then um, search it. And like, what did you search for? Can you share any more around that? Because I think that's a really cool little hack that you can do that doesn't take very long. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I guess this is a video. I guess it'll be a podcast. But um, yeah, so basically, you can go to a website. You know, let me actually pull one up. I can give you guys step by step. Um, so if you go to a company's, you know, main website, um, you can basically just right click it. And then if you're using Chrome, there's an inspect. Um, and basically what it's going to do, it's going to pull up that the tab on the right and it's going to show all the code on their webpage. So, um, for example, if they're using like a chat bot, you can see what marketing automation tool they're using. So you can actually go into that code, press, you know, command F or find or whatever it is. And if you search Marketo and it pops up, then they're using, you know, Marketo or you could look up all these different marketing automation or optimization tools. Um, and then obviously if they're using that, then, you know, that's probably, if they're spending money to optimize something that you do, then, you know, you should probably be reaching out to them for sure. Yeah. So I love the thinking behind this. And I know the reason why I'm digging into this is it sounds like this is fairly intuitive for you, but it isn't for most people. (laughs) (laughs) To to be nice, this is intuitive for you, but for most people, they aren't really thinking in this way or know how to do this kind of stuff, which is why I want to dig into it. Um, (laughs) So like just that fact right there, when you look at like where they're already spending on tools in my category, and then having an idea of whether if you're an SDR, maybe you get this from your AE, or if you're doing some of your own discovery, you, you probably have a good idea of what the tool stack 
looks like, the tech stack looks like for the companies that you work with. And having like a hit list of those kind of things. I was just on Gong's website and I just looked at Marketo. I'm like, not only do they have like a very forward thinking website and they're very tech oriented company, but like they're using marketing tools already that would indicate they care a lot about the inbound marketing. Right. Yeah. And I mean, kind you, of going you, you into You can that. look us up there too. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That's funny, dude. <laughs> so it's, it's really interesting that there's so much there just sitting on the website from a tool standpoint that is like easy and free to like, you don't need zoom info or any other kind of tool to find that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. And, and even with those tools, I mean, I don't know, it's just not always a hundred percent accurate. So, yeah. you know, if you're going to send an email saying, Hey, I saw you're using this, I would just want to be sure they're using that before I'm just trusting a, mm-hmm. a tech source, I think. But yeah, no, badass, man. So, so how has the targeting aspect for you and finding accounts changed now that it's not so much of a green space? How do you decide what companies that you want to go after and prioritize and like that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, we were, so I mean, a lot's changing right now. So like I mentioned previously, like we just got around to funding. So um, there's a lot of departments and, and change kind of going on. Um, but basically what's going on is the big, the big thing that we changed is we, we did an official split. So now we have an enterprise and a mid-market function where before it was just kind of, you know, mixed together. So I think we're just really going to put a big focus on, you know, actually capturing those enterprise companies. Um, and then with the mid-market, um, they're going to basically be have a cutoff at 1000. So anything over a thousand plus. So, um, that's kind of the big change is that we're really going to focus on the larger companies and then we're doing really well with mid market. So just, you know, kind of, kind of switching it up and saying, okay, well, if we can get a lot of these bigger companies into, that's obviously going to mm-hmm. you know, help us grow a bit faster. So. No, oh, cool. So when you are going after accounts, is there like a planning process for you in terms of like, Hey, I have my hundred accounts. Let's say that I want to go after right now from there. Is there a process you go through to research? you know, this company or to figure out who you want to reach out to? Like, what, what does that look like from a planning standpoint before you start to reach out to these folks? Yeah, yeah for sure. So, I mean, it's probably something pretty typical for most people. I mean, I just got a you know, sales navigator and kind of search for the relevant roles. Um, I use role specific. So I'm looking for like specific keywords and their actual title. Um, and then just figuring out, and obviously it's going to be different for every product, but just figuring out, you know, which potential use cases are going to be relevant for the messaging. Um, and then I'm, ba- you know, you can basically just pull a list of like, you know, so you have sales specific, marketing specific. Um, and we use Lead IQ and Sales Nav for that. Um, mm-hmm. And then we just, you know, would obviously import it into Sales Loft from there. So um, probably pretty typical of, of most sales reps in the prospecting, but. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else that like you can share around, like you said, role specific around the titles? Are you looking for specific titles of like marketing? You know, for example, um, like people with certain keywords in their marketing title? Yeah, for sure. So like conversion, optimization, like inbound, yeah. anything like demand or demand gen. Um, I mean, we really target any marketing use cases, but the, you know, then you can divvy out the messaging that you're going to send depending on, you know, these specific roles. So like we also target sales development because they receive the meetings, but marketing is actually the one, you know, with the web form. So, you know, you're not going to want to send the same message to, to two different people that are still going to be involved, you know, with your product. So, mm-hmm. so even within marketing, it sounds like there's multiple use cases depending on who you talk yeah. to. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause it could be like web, anyone tied to like a web form or maybe like email marketing campaigns or um, like even people that handle like the chat bots and stuff like that. So um, and that's another thing with the targeting, like with the chat bot, when we see that we're like, okay, you, so you want people to engage on your website. So that's like a, yeah, definitely a green light for us as well. So but seeing so, things like that, obviously they're, you know, looking to invest. So. Yeah. So when you're looking at um, the people to reach out to, how many people at a time would you pull from a company to reach out to? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's going to depend. I would say for me, like I like to reach out to as many people as possible. So I think some people like frown upon that, like, oh, you don't want to blast the account. Um, but I think as long as you're like providing, if the email is like actually providing value, I've never had any issues with it. Um, so I've even had people be like, oh, I've seen, you know, your emails got forwarded around. I've seen this already. Um, but it's usually like a good thing. Like, hey, this is helpful rather than like stop blowing up my whole team type thing. So I think as long as you're being careful with your outreach, um, it makes sense to go after the more of the company because then it's a higher chance of you getting forward or refer. So and be like, hey, this is cool. Giving you some info. So you know, I like to definitely try to go after, you know, really as many people as possible. Um, but again, not in a spammy way, like making sure your messaging is targeted and that type of thing. So, so how many people at a time with that, just so I have a better <laughs> idea here, range, like we're talking like a dozen, couple dozen people at bigger companies, like what, how many people? Yeah. I mean, it could be, but also like, <laughs> I mean, if you're talking like, so, so like for Cisco, for example, like they have, you know, Cisco Meraki, which is like the SaaS products and they have Cisco 50 other companies or whatever it is. So there's also like a little, you know, departments within companies. So if you're going after enterprise then you can have, you could have 50 or hundred people, but it could also be 20 different, completely separate teams within that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's all over the place, but yeah, I don't, I honestly don't see any issue sending to 12 contacts if it's relevant to all of them and the messaging is, you know, valuable to them. Um, so all of these people might be receiving emails in the same week from you. Absolutely. Yeah. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so once no, that's interesting. Cause you hear both schools of thought, right? Some people are like, you should spread it out. Like, yep. so like one school of thought I hear a lot with enterprise is, you know, reach out to one department at a time, you know, so you extend the runway of the time that you're reaching yep. out to that department to try to get somewhere to increase the chances of reaching out to them in their buying window. But the con of that, it's going to take a lot longer probably to get a hold of someone at that account. I think it depends on what you're selling to and how much it costs, Yeah, for you sure. know, what the you know, sales cycle is. But no, it's interesting because I, I like reaching out to the same people at the same time too. I think it's good if they're yeah. forwarding emails around and they can see that it's at least contextual for them. I don't think anyone's expecting you to 100% customize an email just for them as long as yeah. it's got some context and value in it, like you said. Exactly. And I mean, if they're going to get mad at that, they're going to get mad at something else anyways. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's been like, and I don't think I'll ever change that just because there's been so many times where like a, either one way or the other, like a CMO will send it to a VP of marketing, like, Hey, this is awesome. Check it out. Take a demo with them or the reverse, you know, I've taken, you know, I've, one time I've had an intern um, that ended up getting us a deal close with like this massive, uh, you know, rental comp- uh, vacation rental company. Yeah. Um, it started with the intern and then it closed. So I think I just feel like in modern sales, like really anyone could influence, you know, something potentially. So you might as well reach out, but even if not, like you can get the pains or they could say, Hey, this is cool. Let me forward this over. Or, hey, you should talk to this. This was super valuable. Um, so when they see you give positive outreach and this is something I was going to, 
I bring up too is like the reply rate doesn't have to be good, but if the positive reply rate's good and like the number of meetings per account is good, I think that's successful. So if your reply rate's less than 1%, but you're booking, you know, 10 to 15% of your accounts, you know, I don't really see that as a huge issue. So I think a lot of people worry about reply rates. So obviously with more contact, probably lower reply, reply rate, but you don't know who's forwarding or seeing or seeing that email or anything like that. So I think there's a lot, a lot that goes into it. So that's another interesting school of thought because I think that's the, yeah, that's the balance right now that people are trying to find is like, okay, I'm bought into personalization, but how do I find a balance between mass blast and you know quality? Right. And essentially what I'm hearing you say is that, Hey, even if I reached out to 40 people at a company and the reply rate was you know one or 2%, but I got like three or four meetings with the right people, like that's a win that I didn't have to spend a ton of effort on customizing 40 different emails, knowing that most of these people are not probably not going to be relevant for them anyways. And it's almost yeah. like playing just a tiny bit of a numbers game within an account. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it depends too, because some people like to rotate, you know, through accounts or go for the long term. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I just think it's a, it's a good way to approach it. If you have a really good, you know, if you have something really helpful to show them, you know, you might as well just, <laughs> show them and see how it goes. So, yeah. Um, Can you share more? I do more space of- out touches like, in, so I'm not going to send like, yeah, if I send it all in one week, I'm not going to send another in three days. You know, I'm going to give them a couple weeks to chill, but yeah. Um, so I do space out individual emails, but I try to make sure the impact of each email is, you know, strong enough that they're going to actually forward it around and, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to get seen internally. So, yeah. And we'll definitely talk about your emails here in a second because you're doing some really creative stuff. But I'm curious because we talked about this before recording. Uh, in terms of like approaching a company, like the contact strategy, it sounds like because again, the schools of thought here are either top down or bottom up. And you know, my kind of thing is like you should do both. You know, but you're kind of actually something even different than that. <laughs> from, from what it sounds like, how do you decide like when you're picking who to reach out to? You mentioned the departments, but you know, level of seniority. Like, how are you thinking about? who gets on that list of people that actually end up receiving some outreach for you in terms of like the approach. What we're talking about right now, this approach of, do you go, you know, top down, bottoms up? And really the answer is probably best to do both at the same time. But one thing that can be really hard to track is how those conversations are going with your reps and talking to assistants and taking that bottoms up approach, because asking for help and getting someone's help to get an intro to a decision maker or influencer or champion it's actually very tough. <laughs> and a really great tool that I've been using with our customers is called Wingman. And what this allows you to do is really listen into the snippets of those calls without having to listen in live. And you can also pick the moments in those calls that really uh, dictate whether a meeting gets scheduled or that next steps get scheduled. And you can take that and you can actually scale that out and teach it to the rest of your team in your coaching calls. So make sure to check out Wingman. It's a really cool tool at trywingman. Dot com. Let's get back to the interview with Nate. I just think like anyone can have, you know, influence these days. So even if they don't have, you know, technical authority or whatever it is, like they might be able to get someone that can. So, I mean, my view is like the people lower down are probably the ones that hate it the most. So those mm-hmm. are the people that are really going to like feel for you. Um, and then obviously the higher people up are going to care more about like strategy and, you know, the ROI and that type of thing. So I just don't see why you wouldn't want to touch both of those. 
Like and th- then, those are all, that's all information I want to know and people I want to connect with. So, you know, I, I don't know why you wouldn't, I guess. <laughs> I don't know why either. Yeah. Especially I, I feel like the, you know, talking, you said talking to an intern, right? Th- that's really interesting. And I've never talked to an intern at a company, but I've talked to a lot of like individual like SDRs just to get the inside scoop of what's going on at that company. And they'll tell me all kinds of stuff that they're having problems with or that the team is having struggles with. And then I fire off an email to their VP. I'm like, hey, I talked to a couple of people on your team and they're telling me they're working on this you know, personaliz- personalization at scale and it's taking forever for them to customize emails and no one's responding to them. You know, yeah. It's just something that, you, that you're aware of. You know? And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, talk to so-and-so. We're really trying to figure this problem out right now. You know, Having that just tiny bit of intel that took me a two minutes you know, to get from someone by messaging them on LinkedIn, you know, that, that is, that's a total game changer. Um, so let's get into like the messaging portion of this. So like once you figured out who to reach out to, in terms of like the message that you were sending, is it different across the department? Is it different depending on if it's that below the line, you know, kind of persona that's maybe a manager or user of the product versus an executive? Like how do, how do you think about an approach messaging? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, like a lot of it, a lot of our product is very self-explanatory. Um, well, not self-explanatory. It's very easy to see, like if you just look, like if you can see it and understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, I mean, what we do is we try, we really try to make like the emails very visual, because again, you can you can really get the point across, and if you understand, you know, marketing conversion, you can see ten seconds and be like, okay, I understand, you know, what they do. Um, so for us, we really try to make it visual and put something that you know, a use case where they would actually be able to apply it and put that within the actual email. So that way they're seeing, okay, so they're actually on our website. They know there's a viable use case. They've obviously like looked into this. Um, and then they're sharing, you know, that kind of gives the personalization as well. Um, so that's, that's kind of the initial approach we go with. But mm-hmm. And then that message is very similar. It sounds like in language with the people that you're reaching out to, or do you kind of cater? Yeah. I mean, I- it, it, yeah, it is similar for the most part, just because I think, again, it just kind of, because I try to keep, I try to really only do like one or two sentences and let literally let the images kind of do the talking. So that's my goal wow. is to like say as few words as possible. So um, a lot of it is going to be pretty similar, but it's more so like, hey, made this, you know, here's an image of potential use case. What are your thoughts type thing? It's not like, hey, we do this and this is the percentage of increase we see and so I'm really just trying to like, boom, there's our value and then get their appreciation for just get, giving it to them. And then, you know, usually you'll get feedback at that point um, or like, hey, this is cool, but this is who you should talk to or something like that. And you're doing this through like a GIF? Um, yeah, so we're doing, so we started with, we kind of started with screenshots. So we would like go to their demo page or something like that and screenshot it. And then, you know, we could say, hey, you know, basically, hey, we could, you know, work well with this form. And then you could actually include like the fields they're using, like, you know, you could qualify on this, this or that. Um, and then we, you know, that worked really well. And then we kind of shifted to doing GIFs. Um, so what we'll do is actually go to their website, go to the form, we'll take a short video clip of basically filling it out. We won't actually fill it out, but makes it look like it. And then we'll actually go into like iMovie and make a short edit. Um, and we'll put a Chili Piper overlay. So basically, what the final product is, it's a GIF that comes out and it looks like someone's filling out their web form and then it shows a, a scheduling option rather than like a thank you page. Um, so we'll customize that for each specific account um, and then just basically send it out like, hey, made a mock-up of your form, you know, a 
experience if you want to let your leads, you know, book direct from, you know, your website. Um, does this look like something that would be of interest or something like that? Um, so just a couple sentences in the image and then, you know, we've just been going with that pretty recently and it's, it's been working pretty well. We get, I did it with about 300 of our named accounts and we got like 10% of the accounts to book. Um, mm-hmm. but going back to what we were talking about earlier, reply rate was only, you know, like 1% or something like that. So, um, but we have sales off and I would see like, you know, I'd send an email to either a CMO or someone low level or whatever it is. And the view count would be 50, 60, 70. Wow. Um, so that obviously means they're forwarding it to some, some team or something like that. So I think there's a lot behind the scenes that we don't see within our, you know, sales loft and outreach, uh, metrics. So. Yeah. No, it's interesting how people forward stuff around and all you see is the open metrics and you can only speculate and guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? I like mean, what's I'll take a forward over, you know, a soft reply any day. Uh, oh yeah. So <laughs> this is interesting. Like I said, you're, you're kind of almost like you're doing personalization at scale in a very different way where it's like a lot of time is spent upfront. It sounds like making these videos for the accounts. And I, I imagine it probably doesn't take a ton of time for you to record the videos real quick or have someone on your team to do it and then kind of make the movies. Um, and then you embed that and it has to be embedded as a GIF, I would assume so that they can see it in the email and not have to click on it. Or is it a video they click through and watch? So that's the benefit of a GIF I think is that they open the email yeah. and whether it's on their phone, they're in the bathroom, they're driving and shouldn't be on their phone. Um, but like most emails are getting read, you know, on the phone. So they literally open it, you know, if they're walking or talking to someone, they're not going to open, you know, your video likely. Um, but if they can just open it and then it starts moving, they didn't click on it. They didn't do anything. Um, I think that's, what's powerful about a GIF is there's no, you don't have to make them engage at all. They just see it. So, um, I think video like video art and stuff like that's great, but I think a lot of it is, you know, they have to click it. They know that you're going to know that they're watching it. Um, so this is like, Hey, here's free value. You don't have to do anything, you know, just watch it for 10 seconds or five seconds. Um, so it's just very straightforward and there's no, it doesn't take anything from the prospect basically. Mm -hmm. And you're 100% email in the approach, right? You guys aren't throwing in phone calls or email or LinkedIn touches or anything like that. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think the SDRs are doing a bit more cold calling, but for me, I mean, I'm obviously focusing on closing as well, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, email has just been most effective because just the visualization of the product, you know, that's, I can talk to you about it all day, but I can show you it in 10 seconds and that's going to be, you know, that's going to drive it home. Not me, you know, discussing how it actually works. So it's, it's just a very visual product, I think, which is, which yeah. is a benefit. So I don't, I don't know if it'll work, you know, for every product out there, but you know, if you do, if you sell a product that you can show on their website or in their email or a workflow or something like that, I mean, I think it's, it's a lot more powerful. So no, absolutely. I mean, I'm thinking of like people that sell e-commerce solutions, especially where they're optimizing e-commerce stores or Amazon listings. Like there's all kinds of ways you can do stuff like this where you rearrange the order of a yeah. listing or we interviewed, it hasn't aired yet, but a guy, Lou, that sells the solution and <laughs> for e-commerce what he does, he goes to the Amazon page and he takes a screenshot and highlights where their competitors are ranking for their keywords above their listings. Yeah. You know, just little things like that where you can create those oh shit moments, you know, for the prospect where they see this thing that you said, they're like, what, you know, we can send them direct to a booking page, you know, and, they, right. and you allow them to kind of put two and two together. Uh, just, do you follow Justin Michael stuff at all? Do you know? Who uh, he yeah. Is? Yeah. 
yeah, we, he talked about virtual or visual prospecting, excuse me, on our think outside the script, the virtual tour that we're doing. And his thing was like Venn diagrams, which I thought was funny. But the whole point yeah. is that, you know, an image, like you literally, a person can process an image in like a quarter of a second or less. Right. And the average reading speed takes people literally five to 15 seconds to read an email that's, you know, three to five sentences. That's how, that's how long it takes for someone to read it. And you're kind of doing the opposite and you're doing it with some scale too, which is really interesting. And I always forget, Hey, you're an AE, you're also closing too. So you don't have time to prospect hundred percent of the time. So it's like a really good way to supplement, you know, what you're right. doing on the sales side and like what the SDRs and stuff are doing for you too. So it's interesting. It's kind of the best of both worlds in terms of AEs and, you know, kind of still prospecting on your accounts, but not doing something where when you involve the phone, dude, the phone can be so distracting. It's great. I love the phone. It's my favorite prospecting tool, but it can also be really distracting because you call someone, they try to call you back. You're playing phone tag, you're in meetings for the day and you got to hit your call blocks, which are kind of hard to work in sometimes, you know? So it's interesting, man, the approach. Yeah. And that's the thing with the flexibility is I can, you know, I can do all that stuff, you know, knock it out on a late night or something like that. Whereas, yeah. you know, the calls, it's got to be business hours. Yeah. There's a lot more rules to it, I guess. So. <laughs> no, no, definitely, man. Um, is there anything else around like your approach and thinking in terms of like, that's the first email? How do you follow up with someone if they don't respond to that? Like what, what, how many times will you email them before giving up? And like, what does the follow up look like? Yeah. So to be honest, I mean, that's, that's kind of like our power play is that, is that first email. And we usually get a lot of traffic from that. Um, to be honest, I'm still kind of figuring out where to take it from there. Like I'm, I'm just trying to figure out different ways where I can do something similarly, similar, but different. <laughs> so have the same impact, but not be, you know, the same email. Um, so some different things we try too is like, um, something that's pretty cool. And I'm sure all the sales reps know about this, but your prospecting account, um, you know, their ads are going to show up on your Instagram and your Facebook and stuff like that. Um, so we've actually done like the team's done like screenshots and videos where, you know, you're going to see it on your phone. Oh, I'm gonna take a screenshot and then doing something similar from there. Like, you know, yeah, you can do it from your request a demo form. We can also book meetings directly from your Instagram Ooh, ads or something like that. That's pretty cool. Um, so just trying to figure out ways to keep doing that. Um, I think that the challenge is scaling it, but I mean, you could probably pay someone to do it eventually, but <laughs> I yeah. mean, we're early on, obviously. So um, we're kind of doing it manually, but I'm sure there's a way you could automate, you know, some type of process for that. Um, but yeah, still kind of figuring that out. So, but a lot, most of our responses are, I mean, almost all of them are on that, that first email. Yeah. So. Do you ever send a second email that just says any thoughts? Question mark, Nate? Not a fan. <laughs> no. I just feel like if you're going to email someone, then you should give, you need to like give them something. Have That's you tried it? I, I haven't. No. Well, maybe. Oh I, man. I, I was so resistant. Dude, I, Beck talked about this, Beck Holland also. And she was oh, like, really? dude, I was just so like weird about it. I've been, I was so totally resistant to it. It doesn't need to be any thoughts, just some version of that. But just like think, yeah. the first email, man, it's like, you guys spend so much work on that first email to have someone not look at it. And, and dude, like, it gets a lot of replies, man. Just some version. It doesn't even have to be any thoughts. What did you think of the movie? You know? Yeah. yeah. What'd you think? Something like that. I don't know. Something you yeah, might no, try, man. It works really well. I think that's fair. I think the the thoughts question mark one is just like a little, you know, they're like, that's a tactic. Whereas if you're like, Hey, how did you know, what, what are your thoughts on that image? I think that, yeah. Yeah. I don't see an issue with that. Cause it's like, I made this for you. Like, what, yeah. You know, 
what you think? <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it on a random email because it's like, here's me sending you a bunch of info about us. Hey, what are your thoughts on us? Like, but I guess if you're giving them something that's personalized and you put time into it, you know, I think it's fair to ask that question. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be interesting, man. Um, <laughs> anything else around, is there anything that you've learned in terms of like moving from mid-market to enterprise, any other little tidbits, any big learnings in terms of things that are working better for you? Yeah. I think the the big difference is I used to just go to a website and that's kind of how I would plan an account. Cause I would know, mm-hmm what call to actions and stuff they had. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now I'm really just sitting down and I literally have, you know, a document for each account um, and then breaking out like departments. So again, there's like, you know, Amazon, Amazon is AWS and Amazon business and Amazon pay and, you know, all these different <clears throat> companies. So you want to make sure you're treating each department basically like a different company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it too is just also like the vendor, like the vendor approval stuff. Um, so just making sure you can get through. You really have to build a relationship to to be able to find someone that can get through a lot of these tough vendor approval processes. So it's not like, hey, yeah. I want to buy this and they buy it. Um, you really have to like find the right people that are going to be able to actually get it through um, or yeah. get the people that can get it through on board. So. And for you is finding that person just kind of like, let me just reach out to everyone in this department that is applicable. And then the person that raises their hand, like then I kind of use that as a way to work in and, and ask around and find the person, or do you kind of pick out people during the planning stage where you're like, you know what, this, this person based on their role and their experience is most likely to be more like a, my champion essentially. Yeah. I mean, I think start again, starting out, it's almost like greed and space all over because we were doing this level of detail. So yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, I'm just trying to really just figure out what would make most sense. So again, I'm not trying to like blast people, but you know, since we don't have any information on, you know, if we haven't had past conversations or whatever it is with that department, then, you know, if I, if I have something helpful to provide them, then I think, you know, I think it's fine to reach out that way. So yeah. Cool, man. Sweet dude. I think that is all. We pretty much covered everything there. I, I love the uh, your guys' approach with the gifts, man. Like you're actually doing it in a way that does add value and it's not like some gimmicky bullshit, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that a lot of people will send. And I think it's okay to be funny, but if you can tie it into why you're actually reaching out and have it make sense, that's okay. It's just like you can do it in a way that just makes you look like an idiot though. Uh, <laughs> if it's I not funny. Think, yeah. I guess I hope people don't take at it. Like they're going to go to Giphy and send all these like cheesy gifts now, but I've tried it too. And there's one that I send that actually is kind of funny um, that I get people respond back to. And it has to, it's only people that I reach out to that are pretty tech savvy, like, you know, SaaS companies. And it's this video of John Mayer going up to shake Kanye West's hand. This is way back in the day. And they sort of staged this, but it's like an awkward handshake. Right. And the email is something along the lines of like, uh, Hey, what'd you think of this? Um, are you open to chatting about this thing? Promise that are that, that when we talk, it'll be less awkward than this than John Mayer meeting Kanye the first time. You know, so it was something like that, and that that gets a laugh here and there. But it's like connected, and even that, I feel like, is kind of pushing it on the cheese factor. But that's the only thing I've had success with, like trying to be funny. All the other stuff is like, I don't yeah. know, I don't quite get it. And 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 the other person like doesn't quite take you serious as a salesperson either. When they're like, dude, I'm a I'm a CMO. Like, I don't got time for this bullshit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too. I think it's like, you know, a CMO over, yeah. Send a manager, like a funny gift or something. Yeah. Like, I was like, 
if you're you're 32 years old prospecting me with this gift right now. Yeah, come on, dude. <laughs> um, it's funny though because I I remember when we were starting sales, like we used to get in trouble for saying like "hey" in the like it used to it had to be like "hello" or "hi." Oh, really? Like "hey" was like frowned upon, and now people are sending gifts and smileys. And yeah, it's crazy. I love. I start out every email with "hey." I never say "hi" or "hello." It's, feels really weird to me too. Yeah, all of them are weird. Hey is normal, but yeah, back then it was like, you know, it was rude. Yeah. You know, I literally had people email me like, did you just say hey? That's unprofessional. I'm like, hey's for horses. Like people yeah. say that shit to you. I'm like, come on, dude. <laughs> Not that kind of hey. Um, cool, dude. Well, hey, I appreciate your time, man. This is yeah, a fun one. Where where do you, where should people go to connect with you and follow what you guys are doing the Chili Piper? Um, yeah, so I mean feel free to go to our website. The the benefit of our product is when you request a demo you get to see how it works. So um, if you're interested in booking, you know, your customers direct from your, your high intent forms, uh, you know, feel free to try it out. Um, but yeah, just follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm just selling stuff. So other than that, <laughs> you feel free to reach out, message me. Um, and I'm happy to help out where I can. Um, and if you have any questions on the gifts or, you know, creating anything like that, feel free to reach out to happy to help. You guys have also have a lot of excellent content, I would say on the website too. So make sure to check out the resources, like cool eBooks and case studies and stuff like that too. So yeah, cool. Awesome, man. Great having you on, dude. Yeah, I appreciate it. That was an awesome interview. I really enjoyed talking to Nate. And if you're listening to this and you're managing a team of folks and you're like, you know what? I wish they would prospect, you know, more like Nate. Uh, a really cool thing that you can do is, you know, what I've been really thinking a lot about is how do we scale our coaching? Because like working from home right now, you probably don't have time. And if you are doing one-on-ones every week, that that's awesome. But it can be really time-consuming, especially if you have a large team. And you can deliver you know, some of that in a group setting as well if you can pick out snippets of people's calls and do that in a way that's really scalable. So you can come into a group coaching call, let's say, spend an hour with your team and pick out little snippets of calls and have a tool that can help kind of identify those winning moments right in those cold calls or in those sales calls. And you can share as a group with your team and then you can get your team to kind of coach themselves and coach each other. And that's what I've seen be really effective is if you can cut the one-on-one time in half. So instead of maybe doing a 30-minute one-on-one with each rep every week, maybe cut that in half and do 15 minutes, give them the individual you know, stuff that they need. And then in a group setting, you know, take the little snippets from those calls. And if you're wondering how to get those snippets, Wingman is a really good tool that I have used with clients and that our clients are using to really capture those winning moments and do it in a way where you have some, you know, some AI and machine learning at play that's going to capture and transcribe those moments so that you don't have to listen to a 30-minute call from start to finish. It's pretty cool. So check it out. If that's a problem you're running into where you're trying to really scale your time as a coach, um, as a sales manager, you know, director, whatever your role is in scaling and working directly with the team, make sure to check it out at trywingman. Dot com. And thanks for tuning into the episode today. I really enjoyed the interview with Nate. And one of my big takeaways is how can you visually show people your product in action? So thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.